Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your immense love for us, your bottomless love for us, a love that exceeds even our greatest imaginations. Lord, we dare to believe in a God that loves us. A God that loves us despite our shortcomings, despite our history, despite our sins and our inadequacies and our doubts and our imperfections, despite all of this, Lord, your love, nothing separates us from your love. The love that defines us at the core of who we are. Clear our minds, open our eyes. May we sense and live in that love in every level of our being, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Absolute privilege to be led into worship in that way. Thanks, guys. Thank you for serving the Lord in that way. John started a sermon series this last week around this book of Acts. And we're going to be visiting Acts for a couple of times, but for a couple of weeks. But as with every start of a series, there's a whole bunch of introductory statements that we've got to make just to kind of set up the series. And I'm going to start with a few of those introductory statements as well today. Um, so I want to start off by saying just a quick heads up about this series. My guess is that you might see that our approach to preaching, if you've sat in this congregation for any length of time, you'll see that our approach to preaching this time around may taste a little bit different, may feel a little bit different to how we normally do it from this pulpit. Normally, we have a theme that we believe God has led us to, something like God's spaces, the kind of thing that we preached recently. And then what we do is we bring the light of Scripture to bear on that theme. And we use Scripture to explain and explore and expand that theme. All right, that's how we normally do it. During this series on the book of Acts, there's, here's the distinguishing factor. We don't, as preachers, have a predetermined theme to preach on at all. Instead, we're going to be preaching a chapter of Acts a week, as simple as that. And depending what's in that chapter, we'll see what themes arise that we need to touch base on. And we're doing this because we want to intentionally explore some of the less visited verses of Scripture with you. I mean, that's the reality of our regular readings of Scripture. If you're anything like me and you try to read Scripture regularly, we'll find that we come across so much that doesn't strike us, at least at first glance, doesn't strike us as either important or even very understandable at times. And so we find that we just white-knuckle it as we read Scripture. We hang in there. Till we get to that one verse that actually makes sense, and when we get it, we breathe a sigh of relief, we say, finally I've understood something, we put our Bibles down and say, God has spoken, job done. But doing it that way, I think, poses a couple of very important questions. What if, for instance, what if even some of those in-between verses 
also have massive importance for us? What if even those verses that we somehow in the back of our minds label as mana are actually God's word too, worthy of our attention and able in some way, shape or form, whether it's now or sometime in the future, able to lead us deeper into knowledge of God and the things of God. And so that's why we're preaching this series this way. We want to learn how to read our Bibles more thoroughly. How to read our Bibles in a better way. And hopefully, you're absolutely committed to that value as well. We want to spend even more time with the verses that we don't always grab our attention. We have to learn to discern what God is saying through those verses as well. One more thought before we get into the actual chapter, Acts chapter 1 today. One more thought. I want to say again, and it's a bit of a long thought, so hang in there. I want to say again, uh, because I've mentioned this before sometime in church, that I honestly love the church. I love the local church. I love our church. I love it to bits. I believe in it at the core of my being. Don't let this Sunday meeting fool you, as important and as awesome as it is. This is, in fact, just a very small, although important part of our church. So when I say I love our church and believe in our church, I'm talking about the much broader picture of church. Let me put it this way. Here's the footprint of ministry over more or less the time that I took to develop the sermon. It's taken me about three or four, four weeks to prepare the sermon. I know, I take a long, long time. But here's some of the ground our church has covered during those three or four weeks. To start off with, obviously these being church services during those times. Um, and during the church services, I, I would say that there has been some excellent teaching. Certainly, I've been a Christian for about 30-something years, been to Bible college, and just about every single sermon, I've been able to learn something. Something has searched my heart. You know, all the different preachers, Cindy, Deb, Jacques, John, all of them have preached excellent services, at least in my opinion. There's been times for communal worship. Remember that thing that many of us long for when we were in deep lockdown and we actually couldn't get into this situation and we found our own voice as we sang in response to the screens. Our own voice is too loud, man. I battled in those times to worship. And now we can, many of us at least, many of us can be here today and worship and experience communal worship again. During those church services over recent weeks, we've had deaf awareness brought to our attention. Um, but most importantly, and there's all kinds of dynamics. I really could get into so much more. Most importantly about these church services over the last couple of weeks is we've had space for people, created space for people to connect with God, to hear God, to worship God. It's been awesome. Marriages, another element of this footprint. Marriages, our counseling center is regularly helping people in terms of their marriages. My office, John's office, we help people in terms, we have conversations and explore better options in terms of their marriages. There's been marriage preparation classes that's happened over the last couple of weeks. Four young couples. One has just been married last week. Another one was married about a month ago. And the other two are exploring, well, one is exploring marriage, another one's got a marriage later on in October. And they've been sitting with me and Cindy, and we've been discussing the basics of marriage. There have been care calls during, during this time. 
There's been a group that a very committed group in our church that make phone calls to all kinds of people in our church. Now, maybe that's not your cup of tea getting that phone call. But let me tell you that there will be people that absolutely love that phone call. They love the fact that they can tell us about their needs. They love the fact that they receive prayer during those phone calls. For some people, the loneliness that is deep in their hearts has been broken because of that phone call. Kids' ministry has been happening. Fantastic stuff. The molding of a, of a Christ-filled hope for, for the future of these kids over recent months. A couple of weeks ago, about three weeks ago, they had an anxiety workshop for some of the children in our, in our church because of, that, because of that, um, those riots that had happened. Again, significant ministry happening there. Same thing with youth ministry. Incredible skills being taught to many of our young oaks. We see some fantastic leaders emerging from our youth ministry. Um, young people finding friends that have a similar belief system to them. Young people looking for boyfriends and girlfriends, because that's often the case for youth ministry. Absolutely core and fundamental. Um, but also salvation, visiting the lives of many young people. Some of those, many of those light bulbs at the back are story of young people committing their lives to the Lord. That's where my walk with the Lord started. That's what's happening in the youth ministry here at this church. Divorce care has been happening. Um, an incredible ministry where the, the, the trauma, where hope and healing for those that have gone through the trauma of, of, of divorce enters into their lives again. Same thing with, with home ground recovery that happens on a Monday night. Um, for those people that have battled with addiction, all right, freedom, support, wellness, wholeness, again starts to come back within their grasp because of that meeting on Monday night. Cast, do I need to say any more after what Sandy said? Cast is doing an incredible job in our community. Um, relief and hope flooding into people's lives and communities' lives that are absolutely de desperate. There's LTCs that happen in our church, life-transforming conversations, where small groups of same-sex people are, are sitting together having epic conversations, where accountability is happening, real conversations about them and the things of God. Groundwork, a ministry that I started a couple of months ago, very, very small scale at the moment, receiving a bunch of CVs from people in our church. If you have one you want to send to me, chat with me. And basically, I'm trying to team up those CVs with people that are here and looking to employ people. And then last week, we've had two people that have had interviews because of that ministry. Life groups have been happening. When they happen well, discipleship is happening. Care is happening in the context there. Teaching, blessing. Two little fishes, a little play school at the top there. Epic foundations have been built into kids' lives, whether or not they have come from Christian homes. The name of Jesus is brought to those children's lives. Foundational phases of their lives. It's going to have a, a long-term impact in their lives. Seniors ministry through Carol are doing an incredible job. Breaking the loneliness of many seniors. Bringing support to many of them that are feeling quite exposed during this season of life. Homegrown kids and coffee. You know, what a ministry selling great coffee. But much more than that. I love seeing families loving each other in that environment. Folks, that's just one third, I'd guess, of our footprint. And that's the structure of ministry that happens in the name of this church. 
But then we move into the second third, or in the third, the last uh, third of, of that footprint. And we come into personal life stories of everyone in our church. And the footprint expands immeasurably as God's kingdom comes in your life and in your story. So for instance, there's the family in our church that pays for groceries. I think I mentioned them once before. That pays for groceries for three families that are battling in our church. That's out of the kindness of their heart, off their own initiative. They want to serve God, and they say, please, we'd like to do that. And then there's a couple that actually goes out and does the legwork and bars for them often, the, the, the food that is, that is paid for. There's the parents that taught their six-year-old 26 different verses. I mean, that's an overachiever by any definition, but that's incredible. All right, there's the, there's the parents, uh, sorry, there's the teachers in the classroom or the lawyer in his office or the nurse in the hospital. There's the fireman. So many stories that choose to go the extra mile or use a different tone or adopt a different ethic because of a relationship with Christ. Look at that footprint for a moment. Cherish it. Be humbled by it that we are part of that story. Be grateful for it. I'd like to say very clearly that this is not just a footprint of Westville Baptist Church, Homeground Church. This is a footprint of God stepping here in our community and into our midst. I'm absolutely passionate about our church. Not just this Sunday morning, as important as, as it is, but the length, the breadth, the heart, the depth of our church. This isn't my church, obviously. It's our church. It is our spiritual home. This happens in the name of Jesus because of, of what God is doing in and through us. And I have a very real suspicion that this is what God envisaged at the start of His idea of church. Something along these lines. It's not perfect. Something along these lines. But a group of people moved by him in such a way, impacted by him in such a way, that they in turn bring blessing and perspective and hope to this broken and hurting world that we live in. Filling our, our world with worth as a gift from God to this world. The book of Acts that we're going to be going through over the next couple of weeks is a story of the great, 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 I don't know how many times to say it, great, great, great grandparents of this church. As it started to take shape, its initial movements, as it started to find its form, the origins, as I said just now, one of the greatest gifts God has ever given this, given this world, the body of Christ in you and me. This is the birthing story that we're going to be experiencing over the next couple of weeks. And that's why it's such a great story to explore. So let's go there right now. Okay? Acts chapter 1. That's our task for the next couple of moments. Acts chapter 1. And the first 10 verses of Acts are basically just a picture of Jesus' last moments here on earth. Okay? After the resurrection and before the birth of the, of the church, before his ascension... He spent a bunch of time here on earth. And those, that's what those first 10 verses capture. They tell us about those, those times. 
And Luke, as John mentioned earlier, uh, last week, he's the author of this, of this book. Luke starts off by addressing a guy named Theophilus. That's who this writing is, is directed to, Theophilus. And that name literally means friend of God. What a fantastic name. You know, if I had a son, I probably, if it wasn't so quirky, I'd probably name him that, 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 by that name, Theophilus. It, it is weird. But yes, it's such a beautiful meaning. Um, no one really knows, historically speaking, who Theophilus is. They've never been able to peg this guy. But I love the idea that one writer made and said the name is, is possibly referring to a type of person rather than just one historical figure. And so maybe that's why God has kind of kept him anonymous. Even though you know his name, we've never actually been able to peg him down to one character. But effectively, this guy is saying that the story is for anyone that is a friend of God. He's saying, friends of God, listen up, sit up, take notice. He has a story that you need to know, that you'll learn from, that you'll enjoy, hopefully. And then he starts to describe, once he's done this little introduction to Theophilus, he starts to describe those last massive moments that the disciples spent with Jesus after his resurrection and before his ascension. Verse 2 and 3 kind of speaks generally about that period of time. Why don't you just take one minute to read that text on the, on the, on the screen, all right? Learn a little bit about that time. And then I'll pick up on some points. So I just want to touch on a few key elements mentioned about those days key points that I think we can learn from. Firstly, just to point out, if you read there, it's about 40 days. He was here for 40 days. After the resurrection, before his ascension, here for 40 days. Just over a month. 40 days is an interesting period of time in Scripture. It's mentioned a couple of times. And it's actually very interesting also. There's lots of interesting stuff here. It's interesting how often 40 days is mentioned in relation to a time of preparation. 40 days and preparation are tied up together quite often. I wonder why that is. But it is apparent. If you remember Jesus, he went to the wilderness for 40 days before he started his public ministry. If you remember Moses, he went up Mount Sinai for 40 days before he did that incredible job of leading Israel into the mission that was set before them. And here what we see, Jesus instructs the apostles over these 40 days in preparation for the mission of the church that is just about to start, the era of the church that is just about to start and will depend, will land firmly on their shoulders. 40 days of preparation. Massive new shift in history is about to take, take place. Much of it lands on the shoulders and on the examples and on the teaching of the apostles. And so this preparation time, these 40 days, had to cross the T's and dot the R's and make sure that these guys are ready for this next part of, the, of history. During this time, if you read that verse again, during this time, it says he spoke with them. He spoke to them. Okay? There was a time in which Jesus served with them. There was a time in which he did miracles with them. 
There was a time in which he challenged the authorities with them. Not so much during these 40 days. It had a different flavor. Now he spoke with them. I like to see it, and this is just purely my, my thing. I like to see it as one of the original LTCs, life-transforming conversations, okay? Where Jesus got together with a small influential group of people, and they started to have conversations, real conversations, authentic conversations, significant conversations about the things of God. That's what they spoke about. Questions are posed. Teaching is given and received. Accountability thrown into the mix. All of it, at the end of the day, massively powerful stuff, preparing these guys for what is ahead of them. And I just want to ask you, have you got that kind of conversation somewhere? With your group of friends, or your life group, or an LTC, or is it something you need to find? A conversation that is drilling into God and the things of God in a real and authentic way in terms of your life. If you have that, cherish it. Don't let it slide into small talk. If you don't have it, pursue it. Or chat to me and we'll help you pursue it. So he spoke to them. But the major topic of that conversation, there is actually one major topic of the conversation. Without looking up at the screen, if I had to say to you, what do you think was the major conversation over those 40 days? I wonder what would come to mind. What would fit into that gap? Jesus has one more chance here on earth, 40 days, to hammer something home in the life of his disciples. What does he linger on? Luke, as he writes this text, he thinks back to those 40 days and he says, I remember there was one topic he revisited again and again and again. It was his passion. It was his default option of all those 40 days. This is the thing that stood out. The conversation is said to have been about the kingdom of God. That was his focus. The kingdom of God. Folk, we, as we sit here today, we really need to find some kind of resonance as followers of Christ with what that actually means. It kind of sounds so antiquated and weird. We might want to just write it off. But that was Christ's passion. In those 40 days, he longed to bring this to his believers in a way that they understood and loved that theme. You know, a broken telephone effect might have emptied that phrase of any meaning for you and I as we sit here. But remember, this is what Jesus wanted his disciples to sit up and take notice about. And we shouldn't be surprised at that. I mean, we can remember echoes of that theme all the way through his, mem through his ministry. Lord's Prayer. You know, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? Another verse, we're familiar for many of us. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. And, that's, and as his final input into the lives of his followers, he again, he, he visits, he enters into this topic and explains to them what it means to be part of the kingdom of God, how it impacts their lives, how it impacts history, crosses the T's, dots the R's, fills their mind with an understanding around this, you know, of what it means to be living in a kingdom of God in a world like ours. 
what it means, I think, at the end of the day, to live a life truly submitted to the King of Kings. That's what the topic was. What does it mean to live a life submitted to Jesus, submitted to God? Listen to the response to this teaching. Okay, verse 6. So, so after this mega sermon, and this topic has been thoroughly dealt with now, and we're getting now literally, they don't know it, but we, if this was the 40 days, we're right here, right at the end of those 40 days. Okay? Jesus is just about to ascend into heaven. Listen to what the disciples say at the end of those 40 days of preaching. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So having navigated this mega topic, they naturally, the disciples ask for a timeline. Okay? You've told us all about this kingdom. When's it going to happen? Give us a timeline so we can you know, know what to do with, I don't know, the money at home or whatever. You know? Do I sell everything? Is it going to happen now? And that's a very natural conversation to have. I don't know about you, but I long for timelines at time. Um, how long are we going to be left in this broken world, Lord? How long are those riots going to carry on for? How long? When is this stuff that you're talking about here in this massive sermon, when is this stuff actually going to happen? When am I going to get into heaven? Or when is heaven going to come down to earth? When, when, when? So again, remember, it's the last few seconds of Jesus on earth. And the way he feels that question is critical. Because within a few heartbeats, he's going to be gone to heaven. So he has the last moments of what he has to say on earth. All right? And I think these are the words that, that he intended to leave ringing in our years ever since. And so he says this to him, and then he's gone. He says to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates. Oh, so humbling. It's not for you to know the times or dates. The Father is set by His own authority. That's for God to call. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the earth. And with that, he's gone. What he says makes it clear that he's much more interested in the trajectory of the church, the trajectory of the future in our lives, than a timeline for you and I, where we've got a starting date and an ending date. I don't know for you, but what's the one word that sticks out in those verses? What's the one theme? There is so much there that I could preach on, or anybody could preach on. Okay? The whole thing of, you know, that, the, that power will be, come on you. I'd love to unpack that. Dunamis is the Greek word. Power will come on you. Dynamite, that's where that word comes. Power, what does it look like in your life? Okay? Or that the Holy Spirit will come. That's a mega theme in Acts, and we'll get to that. Or the whole witness from this point to that point. Yeah, Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. In fact, this verse, as many, as many people say, this is the core verse of Acts. It only happens in chapter 1. But it outlines, it sets the trajectory for the rest of the book of Acts. And it goes from this place to that place to that place. And that's what it follows. Here's the single word that stands out for me. 
And that is the idea that you and I are called to be witnesses. Would you describe yourself as a witness? A witness for God, a witness to God? I've never been called to a witness stand in a court of law. And yet each one of us today, as we sit here, have a calling to be a witness to the world. That's what Jesus said. In terms of that mega trajectory, God is calling, Jesus is calling us to be a witness. He's preached the sermon about the kingdom. He's lived the life. He's done the miracles. He's died. He's been resurrected. And now he says to us, now that all of this is done, I want you, I want you, to witness to these things. And it's not a complicated call. Sometimes we get so caught up. What does it mean to witness, to testify? How do I? No. A witness very simply says to people, I have seen with my eyes, I've heard with my ears, and I've sensed in my heart this about God. That's what a witness does. I have first-hand knowledge. That's what a witness does. And then he looks up, having said this, having placed this call in their life, he looks up and he goes to heaven. How incredible has that witness been? It's the pandemic that never ended in a good way. Never ended. One witness, this little group of people, took that word seriously, told another little group of people, who told another little group of people, who told the next neighborhood, who told the next city, who told the next country, who told the next generation to the point that you and I are sitting here because that witness happened and continued to happen since that point of time. Oh God, may we carry this witness into the next phase as well. And then he leaves them. Scripture says, though, looking intently up to the skies, Jesus left. And like, nobody's standing there saying, like, is he gone? Oh, just behind the cloud? Yeah, is, you know, and then the angels appear and say, what are you looking for? And, he say, and the angels say, go, go to Jerusalem. Wait there. And um, stick around because it's absolutely going to go ballistic in a few days' time. It's not quite what the Bible says, but I think that's my interpretation of it. But I want you to just imagine for a moment what it was like for those apostles the day after Jesus left. What is that like? I do a lot of weddings. And it's always a massive but exciting build up to the wedding day. There's the buying of a dress, yeah? sorting a guest list, always the toughest part of a wedding, arranging the venue, yeah? bride's appearance on the day, and then the great moment of saying the vows. And probably 60 to 70% of the time, the groom cries as she walks down. I believe it, I've been there, I know. That's, it's like one of those secrets, you know. Cowboys don't cry, but the groom almost always cries, sheds a tear. Huge energy and focus committed to the awesomeness of that day. I get a little irritated with people say, yeah, but those people don't know what they're promising on the day. Don't be so cynical, man. It's an awesome day. It's beautiful. They commit to love each other for life. I know a couple of people also that they battle with the day after the day before effect. You know that moment? An incredible high is often followed by quite an intense slow. Yes, it happens so quickly. 
And I wonder if the apostles felt something of that after Jesus left. Three or four of the most incredible years of companionship walking next to Jesus effectively come to an end as Jesus leaves them and ascends into heaven to sit on his throne. And at that point, we step into the era of the church. The start of the journey, verses 12 to 26 of Acts 1. And I'm only going to go through this really quickly because I know we, we push for time here, big time. Um, so verse 12 starts on a brand new day, the era of the church. Three eras of the church. There's the Old Testament era, the temple era. There's the gospel era when Jesus was here on earth making it all a reality. And now there's the church era. And that's the era we've just stepped into. Interestingly, the first movement of this new, ch new church in this new era, the first thing it did, the first decision it make, made was around a leadership decision. Peter gets up, surrounded by a few of the remaining believers, and points out that Judas, the betrayer, needs to be replaced as a leader. And he spills out some of the gory details of Judas's suicide. I mean, look at verse 18 on this verse. Look how gory Luke gets. He speaks about Judas bought a field there. He fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Why does God have that little bit of knowledge in the scriptures? Sometimes it's tough to preach every verse. I don't know why those details need to be in scripture. Maybe you can tell me. And I'd love for someone to go do some, uh, some, some studies and come to me and say, Rich, here's why I think God included that little part of Scripture. You know? Fascinating. Someone did reply to me after the first service, and I'll leave you hanging in terms of what she said. But, so that's, just, that's what happens, all right? So out of this moment, well, after Peter stand-ups, two candidates are nominated for this position that G Judas advocated. And then the group costs lots to decide between the two of them which was an Old Testament practice that I think this is the last occurrence that we've ever known of when lots were used to, to make a decision. And finally, a guy named Matthias, or Matthias, is the guy who kind of steps up to the mark and is appointed as the leader. I'm not going to spend much time on this, but I want to say that in some senses, making a decision about leadership as one of the first actions of the church actually makes quite a bit of sense to me for two reasons. Number one, I think that decision that Peter made was going to bring a lot of healing to a gaping wound that was there at the church right at its start. A wound that I honestly think would have crippled the effectiveness of the church if it wasn't addressed. You see, I suspect that those remaining believers must have felt very deeply and traumatically the moral failure of Judas. And the fact that he died, that he took his own life of one of the apostles, one of their co-leaders. I mean, here was a guy that was part of everything they did and witnessed with Jesus. He was part of the miracles. He was part of the prayer meetings. He was part of the strategy sessions. He was part of the walking and journeying. And this is the guy that had failed so horribly. And this little group of people, can you imagine... Um, that in, for, for someone in the inner crowd to fail, they must have let, the, let this group quite shaken. I mean, if we can't even prevent one of our own falling away so dramatically, how on earth are we going to change the trajectory of this whole world? So Peter recognizes that this needs to be dealt with. 
he stands up and he says, we're going to replace Judas. There comes a point where that chapter of leadership ended and the next chapter starts again, all in God's scheme of things. It wasn't a great picture, but it does start again. Not even something like leadership fail will prevent the kingdom of God coming. Also, we must under, mustn't underestimate the significance of leadership in a church context. Again, why it's so important to start with this decision. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. Um, he's speaking about the church. Paul, many years later, he says, also, mem- we're, we're members of churches. Hold, God, oh, oh, sorry, I must slow down a little bit. We're we fellow citizens of God's people and members of his whole household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Okay? With Jesus as the chief cornerstone. There's something of the foundations of the church that are determined by leadership. In no sense are we pastors anything like the apostles or the prophets, but leadership plays a significant role, profound role in the context of the trajectory or the existence of the church. So we mustn't underestimate the importance of leadership. We're going away for a week. Next week, tomorrow, as leaders of the church, to say, please, Lord, speak to us, lead us. Won't you pray for us? Pray for us that we sense God's leadership um, in terms of where this church is going. Just one little gem of a verse that I want to show you from this passage. So there were two guys up for this position of Judas, Barsabbas, not Barabbas, Barsabbas and Matthias. Here's one of the prayers that these guys prayed to determine between the two. They said, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. I agree with these guys. The most critical element of leadership is not people skills or strategic skills or reasoning skills or pastoral skills or personal you know, preaching skills. All of that is important. But it's what happens in the depth of their heart that determines the biggest amount of their ability to lead well. It's the person's character. It's their soul. That's why they prayed that prayer. So, folk, that's it. That's Acts chapter 1. I've left out huge chunks. My hope was to touch on everything. We'd be here till late today if I did. But that's Acts chapter 1. I must admit, when I got to the end of the sermon prep, I did feel a little like it was underdone because I love climbing straight into one concept and unpacking it. But I suspect that this different method of preaching is kind of like building a puzzle. And that as we add each new piece of knowledge, of understanding, of the whole picture of Scripture, that a broader understanding of Scripture will serve us in a very different way, but just as well as an in-depth understanding of the different themes of Scripture. So won't you join me in being committed to build this puzzle together, piece by piece. Whether or not it feels relevant is not the issue, because our understanding starts to grow about God and the things of God.